13 or 14. I was right at uh, probably 13, 13 years old. And uh, my sister and I were living in North Carolina at the time with my aunt and uncle there. And uh, we went one day into downtown to a store. It was an old uh, antique store. I think that's what it was anyway. I don't know. I wasn't really interested. They didn't have toys that I remember. And so they didn't have stuff that interested a 13-year-old boy anyway. But we went in there, and I know it was old stuff and used stuff and something like that. And this, you know, picturesque little downtown in Wendell, North Carolina. We're walking down the sidewalk and just... I'm sure my aunt was having a great time. Maybe my sister was enjoying it. Me, not so much, but I knew we were going to eat along the way, so I was in for the long haul. <laughs> and uh, here we are walking along, and we decided to turn into this store, and, and we go in this store. And when you walk in the store, there was a distinct smell. Very clear, very specific. I'd smelt that smell before. But I'd never been in that store before. Well, my sister, she had smelt that smell before, but she'd never been in that store before. Anybody relating to what I'm talking about? Now, bear with me. My sister, not me. I love my sister. If she ever watches this, she knows I do. My sister, who's 18 months older, her senses got the best of her. And she blurts out. It almost seems like my aunt just took her and we walked right back out the store. My sister said, this smells just like granny's drawers. <laughs> it is funny. I never forgot that. And I'll probably never let my sister live that down. Still sort of funny to us. Now, just, just to give you full clarity here, I don't want you thinking bad about my sister or my grandmother. My grandmother always kept, from back in her earlier era, she always kept mothballs hanging in her closet or in her dresser drawers with her sweaters, right? Because moths would lay eggs, and then when they would hatch out, they would eat holes in the garments, and so that's what mothballs were for. It drove them away so that they wouldn't do that to your clothing. And so my grandmother that we affectionately always called and knew as granny, my grandmother always kept these boxes or containers of mothballs in her dresser drawers. And this store had a strong smell of mothballs. I, I wasn't identifying it, but she identified where it was from, why it was so familiar to her. And hence, this smells just like granny's drawers. She meant her chest of drawers, but it wasn't distinct to everybody else in the store. And so therefore, I'm sure looking back, my aunt probably th thought, they think I'm her granny. We're out of it because my aunt has a head full of white hair anyway. Right. I just wonder about how she felt. Oh, I, I think we did just turn around and walk back out because my sister. And if you've ever met my sister, I am. This is a true story. I am the introvert. She is the extrovert. And she'll tell you that. I'm not, it's a, and so, um, so she, and we left. <laughs> Smell is an interesting thing, isn't it? They say, they being 
people that study this, scientists and stuff like this, I've, I've read about it. I didn't take the time to dig up the resources, but go dig into it if you want. They say that your sense of smell is tied to memory more than anything else. More than anything else. And that story, the reason I shared it is because that illustrates it, right? We, I recognized, but I couldn't tell why. But my sister, she immediately recognized, even though it had been years since that would have been something she would have experienced in Arkansas where my grandmother lived. Because it had been, we were away more than five years. And so, but clearly that smell immediately brought her back to that memory. And so she declared it. And so they say that the smell is the strongest sense tied to memory. That's why you may be able to walk into a place and you smell something and it can take you back to it's why when they do open houses at real estate, they try to have candles that smell like, or they bake, actually bake cookies in the house. It's not just because they want you to eat cookies. It's because they want you to smell cookies. It takes people back to a place. It, it's sort of smell, the sense of smell. Right? You guys are like, okay, whatever. When does this get spiritual? I'm glad you asked. Watch. Genesis chapter 37 and verse 23. I want to talk to you this morning. I don't usually have topics or titles. I got one for you today. I want to speak to you. I believe the Lord wants to speak to us today on this thought. The fragrance of your anointing. The fragrance of your anointing. I think we should pray again before we read the word. Lord, you know our frame. We're but dust. But it is you that has made us and not we ourselves. We are your people. We are the sheep of your pasture. I pray today by your holy word that you would say to us exactly what you desire. Anoint our ears to hear. Anoint our minds and our heart and our spirit to receive. I pray, Father, anoint my lips of clay that your word would not be tainted by my humanity. And I pray the authority of the word of God, the spirit of God, and the name of Jesus Christ be established here now. I take this gathering under your authority, and I pray the sure work of the word of God without fail. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. The fragrance of your anointing. Genesis 37, verse number 23. And it came to pass when Joseph was come to his brethren, that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. I know many of you know this story. Please, please don't disconnect. Verse 24, and they took him and they cast him into a pit and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread and they lifted up their eyes and looked. And behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh 
going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. This, of course, is the beginning of Joseph's downward spiral, if you will. It's the beginning of his separation from family. It's the beginning of his entry into slavery. It's the beginning of his loss of recognition as the son of Jacob. Not just any son, but the most beloved son of Jacob. It becomes the separation from his beloved father. It becomes the separation from a home in which he had all provision and more. Not only that, he was stripped of his coat of many colors. So the very identity, as we've talked about in times past, the very identity that was given him was stripped away. It's expected by some that his name was probably even changed. I can't find that in Scripture, but we can see a pattern oftentimes when one a child of the Israelites was taken to a foreign country that their name was changed to match that country. We see it with Daniel and with, we more commonly know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three Hebrew children, but that was their Babylonian names that were given them. And most of you, if I said, can you tell me the three names before it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I would dare say many of us would fail that test without looking. And so we have these. So some say that Joseph's name was probably even changed when he went down. I don't know about that. But what I do know is his identity was taken. His coat of colors was stripped. He did not walk into Potiphar's house after Potiphar bought him as a slave and go, hold on a minute. I'm Joseph. I'm the favorite of Jacob, my father, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, you know, the one that God made promises to. I'm of that lineage. Hold on a minute. He didn't have that identity to point back to. He had been stripped of that where we just read is the beginning of all of his loss, where we just read is the beginning of all of his hurt for the next 12 plus years. He didn't have a cell phone from prison where he could call home. He couldn't FaceTime with dad and say, hey, it's going to be okay. As far as they were concerned, read it in the word, he was dead. Jacob had been deceived by his other sons. They took Joseph's coat, killed a goat, put the blood on it, showed it to Jacob. And Jacob said, surely my son has died. He recognized the coat as Joseph's identity. And he saw blood and he made an assumption about it. We know that this place that we just read in these five verses marks Joseph's downward journey. I find it interesting. I've never seen this in my life before, but until the Lord started dealing with me in the last 48 hours, he began to deal strongly with my heart, and I feel it strongly for some of you here today that if you would hear the word of the Lord, the Lord will give you revelation and understanding that you have not yet had, and it will change your perspective entirely about God's hand on your life and God's plan for your life. There is a fragrance of your anointing. Notice again, if you, I've read over this verse countless times, I dare say hundreds of times in my life, and I've never paused to see it before in verse number 25. And they sat down to eat bread. 
This is Joseph's brothers that are about to do something with him and they're undecided. But while they're there eating, they lift up their eyes and look and behold, watch a company of Ishmaelites. Where were they coming from? They were coming from Gilead. Take notice. They're coming from Gilead. But the writer of Scripture, Moses, had it revealed to him and he translated it into the written word so you and I would see it. And therefore, God thought it was important for us to see and hear and know about this. Why does God care if we know what they had in their carts? But apparently, He did. And He does. They came with their camels. Maybe they didn't have carts. Sorry, I'm not trying to add to the word. Why does God care that we know what they had on their camels? He cares. They were coming from Gilead, and I want you to notice what they had. They had spicery or spices. They had balm, and they had myrrh. They had, and they were carrying it down to Egypt to sell it. You know what that tells me? They didn't just have a pouch of it. They had bags of it. Boxes of it. They had camel loads of it. Whatever that looked like. And it's interesting if you look at these things they were carrying. Spices and balm and myrrh. All of them have strong and distinct fragrances. It is said of balm that it is very aromatic. And it is even used, this balm, especially from Gilead. It's strongly aromatic and it's even used in preparing of medicine because of its different qualities. I promise you, even if Joseph was bound and blindfolded when his brothers sold him, he smelt what those Ishmaelites were carrying. There's no way they didn't have common storage containers whereby they can seal and mask. And I assure you, he knew his captors were carrying something that had a distinct odor and a distinct smell. And I'm sure that he smelt it. He could identify. They say that your senses become heightened in times of crisis. They say that in times, especially of captivity, your senses can become heightened. People remember seeing things, hearing things, smelling things, witnessing things. How do they remember it? Because in their times of crisis, there's something that kicks in. I don't know what it is in the body. Some of you medical people may know. Maybe it's adrenaline that does that. Or dopamine or whatever. All this Something, cortisone. Cortisol. There you go. See, I knew people know. Something kicks in that your senses are heightened. Joseph has just had a, a traumatic crisis take place in his life. He's heard his brothers talking about killing him. I'd imagine he's in that pit straining to listen to hear what they're saying. He's had his coat stripped from him. And now he's here. I promise you, Joseph is smelling the spice. He's smelling the myrrh. He's smelling the balm. I'm going to fast forward through six chapters in 12 years. You know the story. He becomes Potiphar's slave. He serves Potiphar with integrity 
and with character. And God gives him favor with Potiphar. I've said it before, but it's worth saying again now. God did not just give Joseph favor and therefore Joseph just showed up and boom, he had blessing. I believe with all of my heart, Joseph set himself apart from every other slave that Potiphar had. By even though the fact he was in captivity, he still understood, I am a child of God, and my work that I do for my master will still glorify my true master. And that caused Potiphar to see him differently than he saw everybody else. Here's just a little side note for somebody. How you carry yourself at work becomes a testimony of who your God is. So he had favor with Potiphar. You know the story. Potiphar's wife desired him, tried to seduce him. Joseph fled from her. When Potiphar came home, she lied and said, this Hebrew that you brought into us tried to take advantage of me. When I cried out, he fled, and here's his coat right here. She was lying because she had been, in her mind, disrespected. So she lied on the child of God. Those things will happen. Be an opportunity for bitterness if you want to give it room. I think if Potiphar would have believed her, he would have had Joseph killed. I really do. I really do. But Potiphar didn't just throw him in prison. It's an interesting thing. Potiphar put him in the king's prison. Read it. It's in the word. Why would a slave be put in the king's prison? Well, God, of course. But I think it speaks, too, to the fact that Potiphar knew. But Potiphar had to keep peace with his wife. It's crazy the things you'll do, men, to keep peace with your wife sometimes. Sorry, that's not the message. Just... But watch. Watch. Don't believe a lie. Watch. So now he's sold and now he's in prison. You know the story. Prison, years. Twelve years go by. At least twelve years from when he was in the pit till he was getting ready to come out of prison. Think about the last twelve years of your life. Of course, Pharaoh has a dream. He comes up. He's second in command. Boom, we're there. We just saved you all six chapters, and we did that in four minutes. So here he is, the second in command. You know the story, right? Lay up. There's going to be seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. Joseph's wise. He reveals the dream. He's put there in command. He begins to set aside in the seven years of plenty, and then famine comes. Famine is taking over the place. What he has went through and what he has endured to now be where he is. Oftentimes we can look at a Joseph and say, my goodness, the blessing of God is on their life. I'm telling you, you didn't see him in prison. You didn't see him in the pit. You didn't see him in Potiphar's house. You're just seeing the result of the anointing of God, but you didn't see the process. There is a process to the anointing of God being upon your life. There is a process. I realize the anointing can come upon you in a moment. But for the anointing of God to rest on you, to tabernacle on you, to flow over your life, to be evident in your daily walk, there will be a process in your life. Joseph had an anointing. He had a calling and he had a destiny. But he could not be trusted with any of it without the process.
Sometimes if I'm not careful in wanting to be used of God, I ask God, use me, use me, use me, use me, Lord. But I'm not interested in your process. I'm not interested in what anointing smells like. I'm not interested in what anointing looks like. I'm not interested in where anointing takes me before it's recognized. I just want the anointing. Joseph's anointing and destiny came at high cost. And why would it come at high cost for this child of God, but not you and I? Hear me, there is an anointing reserved for every soul in this room. There is a calling and a destiny of God. I believe it with every fiber of my spirit that is set upon your life. If you'll simply purpose God, whatever you got to do, however you got to do it, I want to walk in it. I want to live in it. I want to abide in it. I want your anointing working in my life. Now watch, Joseph has gone through all this. He's second in command. His brothers come down. They don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. He gives them food. They go back home. They go home and they tell him, this man spoke roughly to us. And they realize, of course, on the way that they had money in their bags and it looked like they hadn't. They were like, oh, no, the Lord's cursing us because of what we did to our brother. You know, right? all these things that they're dealing with, you can read it in all those chapters there. And they're back home and they tell him, Dad, we can't go back down there unless we take... We, we told him we had a brother, and so he's like, oh, you ain't going back. And, but after a while, their food ran out. Jacob says to his sons, go back to Egypt again. I need you to go back and get food. And they said, Dad, we can't do it. The, the Lord, the man, the, the guy over the country there, he was very clear to us, except you come with your brother that you told me you have. Don't come back here again. Jacob was upset with him. Why did you tell him you had a brother? You know that I've already lost my one son. Why would you tell him about my other son, Benjamin, that, I, that came by my wife? Why would you do that? They're like, Dad, we, you know, I mean, we, we read it in the King James. We're, I'm sure, yeah, we weren't even thinking about that. He just, we, just the conversation went there. He laid on. We, we didn't know. You with me? We're getting somewhere. We're getting somewhere. Genesis chapter 43. So Joseph finally agrees, or Jacob finally agrees to send them. And they go back. He sends them. Watch. Verse 8, we'll pick up in verse 8 of chapter 43. And Judah, this is one of the 12 brothers. Judah said to Israel, Israel his father, Jacob, Israel, his name was changing him. Send the lad with me, send Benjamin with me, dad. We'll arise and we'll go, that we can live and not die. Both we and you and also our little ones will all live. Verse 9, Judah said, I will be surety for him. I'll stand in his place. If anything's going to happen to him, I'll put myself in his place. And here, of course, we see a type in the shadow of Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah, standing in the place. I'll be surety for him. Of my hand shall you require him. If I don't bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For except we had lingered, surely now we would have already returned the second time. Yeah? I want you to watch this next verse. Watch. And their father, Israel, or Jacob, said to him, said to them, 
If it must be so now, do this. This is the instruction of Israel. Take of the best fruit in the land in your vessels and carry down the man a present. Here's what I'd like you to take him. A little balm. A little honey. Some spices. And some myrrh. And some nuts and almonds. Some of you getting it already. Oh, Israel, I don't know if that's a good idea. I mean, send the fruit and send the nuts and the almonds and the honey, but I'm not sure how your gift of spices and balm and myrrh will be received. There's a distinct smell. Notice, just a little. The Ishmaelites had lots. They were selling it. But Israel, the father said, just take a little balm, a little spice, and a little myrrh. You know what I believe? I believe they stood before Joseph. We know they did, right? We read it in the Word. And they presented him with gifts. His brothers that had sold him into the pit that began his downward that we talked about. And of all the gifts they could have brought him, they brought him spices and balm and myrrh. And I just imagine, as human as he was and as human as we are, he smelt those things when they presented them to him. And his mind could only go to one place. His very brothers are presenting him with a reminder. Oh, they didn't know that. But something had happened in Joseph's life in 12 years. In the pit, when he was bound and sold to the Ishmaelites, it was the smell of bondage and captivity and loss. But in 12 years, he came to know it was the smell of anointing. It was the fragrance of an anointing. It had been large at first. It had been no doubt, maybe overwhelming. I would dare imagine that there may have been some point in Joseph's life where he said, I don't want to ever smell those smells again. You know, there's certain fragrances I really like the smell of. And I have a pretty sensitive sniffer. I'll say stuff. My wife's like, I don't smell anything. I'm like, you don't smell that? I don't smell. She says that about my hearing, too. My hearing's pretty. Good. 
I've heard tell that some people can smell certain things that smell good to one, but the other people, they smell it and it just makes them sick. Just has an effect on their body that that smell for whatever reason. Like I like the smell of fresh pop pop popcorn. I don't know what comes into my mind, but popcorn freshly popped. That smell, how it fills the room. I love that. Uh, I can't remember who it was. Now I'm trying to, but that's what kind. Somebody like, man, I can't do it. It does something to my stomach when I smell pop. Oh, I can't even imagine why. I don't know the connection there, but something for some reason, whatever, right? Uh, if you ever ate something that made you sick and then you smell it later on down the road, you're like, anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, man, for whatever reason, I just can't do that smell anymore. There are emotions and feelings and things tied to our sense of smell. There are memories tied to those things. I don't think, I don't believe for a moment it's coincidence. The Lord saw fit to show us what the Ismaelites were carrying in abundance. And then he saw fit to bring the very same small gift to Joseph when his brothers came the second time. What was happening? I'll tell you what I believe in the Holy Ghost was happening. There had to be a recognition on Joseph's part that that which caused my downfall was really just the fragrance of my anointing. It was simply the beginning of what brought the anointing of God to my life. I didn't recognize it when it happened. It was painful. It hurt. I lost things. It cost me. I was separated. I was bruised. I was broken. I was angry. I was bitter. I was mad. But through time and the healing power of God, I've come to understand those very things that I associated with my hurt have become the very point of His anointing on my life. I know from my own life the very things I prayed about and asked God, why, 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 if you love me, why would you allow? How come this happened? Why did this have to be this way? Why didn't you do this and change it? Why didn't you do this and deliver me? Why didn't you do this and fix it or take this out? Or why, why, why? And I've come to understand some years later it was simply the fragrance of an anointing. What the adversary meant for evil, Joseph said, God meant for good. Brothers, you meant it when he revealed himself. You meant it to me for evil, but God meant it for good. Somebody today, by the power of the word of God, I would that the Lord would anoint your mind to recognize the very thing that you look upon that reminds you of past hurt and past wound and past failure. God was there, I promise you. God knew what was going on. I promise you, some of you, even in what you're in right now, I tell you, God knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. But if you'll stay close to Him, if you'll stay faithful to Him, if you'll keep your trust in Him, you'll come to know it's simply the fragrance of your anointing. The adversary would like it to destroy you. The adversary would like to cause you to doubt God's hand on your life. But if you would stay close to Him, you'll understand it's simply anointing. I want the anointing of God. You say, well, it doesn't seem right that it should come at such high cost. No, it doesn't to the natural. Why the pit? Why the prison? How could God be in that? 
Because God knows your frame and God knows mine. And so he says, I'll use whatever I have to because I want to anoint them. And I need them to walk in my anointing without thinking they got there on their own. I need them to walk in my anointing and I need to see I need them to see the pain and the pressures and the hurts and the wounds and have a faith and a confidence that I was always there. And that I still have the ability to take what the enemy meant for evil. And to turn it. Pray with me for a moment. How could it be, Lord? Because you're God. 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 Stop despising the hurt. I'm not talking about just Joseph wasn't justifying what his brothers did. He still had to forgive them. What they did wasn't right. But Joseph just lived long enough to understand. God used it for his purpose. You say, you mean God did that? No, no, no. God allowed it. And then a God of love and a God who controls all things, a God who works in the hearts and the affairs of men says, I can take what somebody does wrong and I can, in my infinite wisdom and ability, can use that wrong to bring an anointing upon a life. And the enemy would think he's destroying them but I'm only going to use what he did for my purpose in their life. That's the power of our God. It's beautiful to me. Jeremiah 8, 22. Many of you know this. Israel was in captivity now. The people of Israel in bondage. Their own choices, their own mistakes. They're in bondage. Jeremiah, the prophet of the Lord, is crying out. He's trying to arrest their attention trying to help them to see, calling them to recognize Jeremiah 8 and 22. He declares this rhetorical question. He says, is there no balm in Gilead? Calling their mind back to a place before their captivity. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people Recovered. I'll tell you why. They had gotten into a place of bondage and they were no longer relying on the hand of God and the power of God. They were no longer responding to the word of God through the prophet of God. And so the cry of the Lord through the prophet was, Is there no balm in Gilead? The answer was absolutely there is. But somehow they had lost sight of it. Their memory had become so distant because of their pain and their hurt that they could not be healed. They would not allow themselves to be healed because they did not have the perspective God needed them to have in responding to His Word. Is there no balm in Gilead? It's an interesting thing if you look. No fancy, deep, abiding definition there. The word Gilead literally means raw or rugged. 
Gilead was a raw and rugged place, a rocky place. It was a place where you think, what would you do with this place? But it was there they learned, it seems, most historians believe, that there were these small balsam trees. You know, balsam wood, that really light wood that they make model airplanes out of that can fly and all that stuff. There were these small balsam trees. And they learned somehow that they could take the resin out of those trees and make balm out of it. These trees grew in this raw, rugged, rocky place. And those trees grew there and somebody said, there's life there. So there must be value where there's life. And they would take the resin of those trees and it was a strong aromatic smell. And they learned we can use it to make a sweet aroma. Not only that, we learned that we can use it to prepare medicinal things that will bring healing in bodies. Hence the statement, why the, or is there no physician there? They recognize these things. How is it that anything that can bring healing, anything that can smell so fragrant, could come out of a raw, rugged, rocky place. I don't know how, but I serve a God that has the ability to take a place in your life and in mine that is raw and rugged and rocky and broken. And if I'll submit it to Him, He can come out of it and extract that which smells aromatic to Him and can bring healing in a life. There is a bomb. And Gilead. It's no wonder the Ishmaelites were coming from Gilead with balm. They had traversed that place, but out of the place of raw ruggedness came a sweet aroma and healing power. There is such a witness of the Spirit in my heart today. Out of your place of raw ruggedness. I'm telling somebody, God will produce a bomb. He's the same God. He's the same God. It's the fragrance of your anointing, Joseph. And sometimes it just takes years. To recognize, I don't despise that smell anymore. It started me on the road to my destiny. It started me on the road to the dreams God gave me. I wouldn't have chosen it this way, but this is how God chose to fulfill his dreams to me and through me. You know, Joseph had dreams. He dreamed all the sheaves of the field were bowing down to him. He dreamed all the stars and the sun and the moon were bowing down to him. The pit began the process for the anointing and the fulfillment of the dream. Exodus chapter 30. Hasten. I want you to see this. I believe with the word of the Lord, there is an anointing given of God for every soul of man. It is a supernatural empowerment 
in a moment, in an hour. There are anointings that come upon people. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about an anointing that rests upon a life. There's a difference. I've watched men and women teach or preach or pray and anointing come upon them in that moment. But I know they don't necessarily have a deep abiding life of prayer and time in the word with God. It was an anointing given for the moment because of where they were and God using them. I'm not talking about momentary anointing. I'm talking about a lifetime destiny anointing. That's what was on Joseph. A lifetime destiny anointing. There's a difference. Don't have time to study it out. But watch Exodus or Genesis chapter 30. No, Exodus. I was right this first time and the third time. Exodus chapter 30, verse number 22. Listen in here. We don't have time to dig into all this today, but I believe the Lord may prompt something in your spirit that you'll go dig because there's so much woven in the word of God here. Exodus 30, verse 22. Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses and said, take you also unto you, watch, principal spices of pure myrrh. These things just keep showing up. 500 shekels and of sweet cinnamon, half so much, even 250 shekels and of sweet calamus, 250 shekels and of cassia, 500 shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary and of oil, olive and hen. Watch verse 25. And you shall make it an oil of holy ointment. An ointment compound after the art of the apothecary or the perfumery. It shall be a holy anointing oil. You shall anoint the tabernacle of the congregation therewith. And the ark of the testimony. And the table and all the vessels and the candlestick and his vessels. And the altar of incense. And the altar of burnt offering with all his vessels. And the laver and his foot. And thou shalt sanctify them that they may be most holy. Whatsoever touches them shall be holy. Notice, I want you to anoint the tabernacle with this. I want you to anoint every piece of furniture in the tabernacle with this. Somebody hear me. There is an anointing from God for every tabernacle. And the Lord no longer dwells in temples or tabernacles made with hands. And there is a design and a direction from God whereby the anointing should be upon every tabernacle and upon every vessel in the tabernacle. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? There should be an anointing upon your life and mine, but it will not come without a cost. And if you were to read and search out and study these few verses that we just read of the different elements that went into making this oil, it was not cheap to make. It was very, very costly. It was highly expensive to create. Is it any wonder that for the anointing to rest and abide upon a life, there is high cost? Is it any wonder that the anointing on Joseph came at such a steep cost? You want to walk in the great things of God, there's going to be great cost. 
It's not a scary thing. That's not a sad thing. That's a powerful thing. Because what Joseph walked in was far greater than any cost that God extracted from him. Verse 28, the altar. Verse 29. And you shall sanctify them that they may be most holy. Whatsoever tested. Verse 30. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. Notice you're going to anoint them not to minister to people, but to minister to me, to serve me. The anointing on your life and mine is to serve his purpose. Next verse. You shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, This shall be an holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations. It is from this place in Scripture and from the actual doing of it that Moses completed with Aaron and his sons that we find Psalm 133, where the writer, the psalmist said, Behold how good and perfect it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the oil that ran down over Aaron's head and his beard, even to the sole of his garments. What is it? It's this anointing oil, this costly anointing. He says that is how unity is. Don't think for a minute that unity in the body will come without cost. You just got to determine I'm willing to sacrifice whatever I got to sacrifice to see unity in the body. It's like anointing. Back to the scripture. That was just a side note. Verse 30 again. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them. They may minister. Verse 31. And you shall speak to the children of Israel saying, This shall be an holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations. Upon man's flesh shall it not be poured. The anointing will not touch the flesh. It's for the spirit. No flesh will glory in his presence. The anointing oil was not meant to be on flesh. That's why the writer in Psalm 133 said, over his head and his beard and his garments. It never said his face and his neck and his arms and his feet. He knew the oil was not to touch flesh. So it is with the anointing of God on our lives. Don't think for a moment he's going to anoint your flesh. You've got to die. I've got to die out to my flesh for the anointing of God to come upon me. The anointing comes on the spirit, not on the flesh. It comes through the spirit of God. So there must be cost. Why is it that Joseph had to go through the prison and the pit? Because there the flesh died so the anointing could come. There is a fragrance of your anointing. Somebody please hear. I'm not trying to just beat a drum, but the spirit of the Lord is wanting to arrest somebody's heart today to know what you're going through. What you're facing is not just, oh, woe is me. There is anointing that would come on your life but it's going to come with a cost. Don't despise it. Say, God, I'll embrace it. If it brings the anointing of God, I'm going to learn to love this fragrance. I'm going to love this aroma. I'm going to take it to myself. Adversary, you may think it's destroying me, but God is turning my mind. God is turning my spirit. And I'm recognizing that smell now. It's no longer bondage and captivity. It's anointing. I pray let it be poured out. It's anointing. Won't come on flesh. Verse 33. Whoever compoundeth any like it, or whosoever putteth any of it upon a stranger, shall be cut off from his people. I want you to see something here in this verse. No man had better dare try to recreate God's anointing. 
Don't you know? When that anointing oil was made and people smelt it, you read all that stuff in it. Cinnamon, myrrh, this olive oil, all the cassia, all strongly fragrant spices. They took all these things. Don't you know that anointing oil smelled? It had a fragrance. It was by design a sweet fragrance unto the Lord that said, this is consecrated to me. It's a sweet savor in his nostrils. And men have always tried to recreate what God ordains. So the Lord made it clear, whoever tries to recreate this anointing oil that I've given you, or if they put it on a stranger, they'll be cut off from their own people. Why would God do that? I'll tell you why. At least one reason I believe why. You find an individual moving in amongst the people of God that tries to create man-made anointing, he'll deceive many and he'll harm many. And so the Lord said, whoever tries to recreate this and compound something like it, they're going to be cut off from their people. You and I start trying to operate in our flesh or create some anointing or some appearance from anointing that looks like God, but it's really just a work and an operation of the flesh. You are running a fine line between walking in the will of God and Him forgiving you and bringing you back and Him cutting you off. When does He decide to cut them off? When they become a detriment to the rest of His people. And He says, I can't allow that. I will not allow my people to be deceived into a false anointing. Cut them off. How is it that men and women of God, mightily used of God, have turned and walked away from the faith, and yet they find themselves now preaching to large crowds with some half-truth or no truth, but simply gathering men to themselves? I'll tell you what's happening. They knew what it was to have the real anointing of God come upon them and operate in it. And then they thought, I've got this. I can do this on my own now. And they began to try to compound something like God's anointed. And they began to mock God. Oh, they may not have thought they were doing that, but they were operating in man-made anointing, trying to make it look like God's anointing. And before you knew it, it became clear. They were cut off from the people. They're declaring things that are no longer truth. They no longer believe the Acts 2.38 message. They no longer hold to God's way of salvation. Oh, but man, when they preach, I feel something. Yeah, you feel something. It's man's anointing imitating God's anointing. Turn away from it. Run away from it. Don't be deceived by it. Your anointing comes at high cost. Don't throw it away. I'm really trying to hurry. Verse 34. And the Lord said to Moses, Take the sweet spices, stack the onica, galbanum, these sweet spices with pure frankincense of each shall there be a like weight. And you shall make it a perfume, a confection after the art of the apothecary, tempered together pure and holy. You shall beat some of it very small and put of it before. You see, there's a process these things went through. Put of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation where I will meet with you. It shall be to you most holy. And as for the perfume which you make, you shall not make to yourselves according to the competition, composition thereof. It shall be unto you holy for the Lord. Whosoever, whosoever 
shall make like unto that to smell thereto shall even be cut off from his people. The Lord said, I'll cut off the individual that imitates the fragrance that I've designed. He wants there to be a distinction between the holy and the unholy. And you can't imitate holiness. You can't imitate holiness. It's not a look. It's a heart. It may show up in what people see. But that's a standard of separation. That's not holiness. Holiness is of the Lord. It's of the heart. You can't legislate holiness. You can't dictate holiness. And some would seek to smell holy, but it's simply them making what smells like God's anointing. We can't get lifted up in ourselves. I reflect on the teaching of Brother Flowers Thursday night. There must be humility for the anointing. Stand with me. You've been so patient. I wasn't trying to be catchy or cute. Create some tagline. I can just only relay it to you the way I felt like the Lord gave it to me. There is a fragrance to your anointing. It's distinct. Some of you, you know it well, but you haven't yet recognized that it's anointing. You still see it as the hurt and loss. But if you'll let God work in your spirit, Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Hold on before you put that up there. Jesus went into the wilderness, right? 40 days. No food. Water. Barren. Not only that, while he's there, Satan comes and begins to tempt him. And, and you know, we, we get a few verses, but if you've ever been under, truly under the bombardment of Satan attacking your mind and your thoughts, you can read Jesus being tempted of the devil. And you know, man, that, that's not just three convenient little verses that just went right on. It is a battle. There he is in the wilderness. You think, what in the world? He's got destiny set up on his life. Why would he be going through all of this? Why would he be in the wilderness? Why would he have to endure this onslaught from Satan tempting him and bringing on? Why don't you just let him do what he came to do? Oh, but he didn't stay in that dry place. He didn't stay in that place. He came out. Watch Luke 4 verse 18. And when he came out, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me. Where did he anoint him? 
I'm telling you, he anointed him in the wilderness. He anointed him in the place where he felt like nobody else was there because they weren't. He was all alone. He was anointed in that place. He was anointed in the place of spiritual bombardment. He was anointed in the place of temptation and test. He was anointed in that place. And you've got to know if there was a cost for the very anointing of the Spirit of God upon God manifested in the flesh, there's a cost for your anointing as well. Don't give the adversary credit. Let the Holy Ghost reveal to you what I'm going through will not be the end of me. It will be the anointing of God coming through my life. I will come through because God is with me. You talk to him there right where you are this morning. Please do not misunderstand. I'm not telling you that you don't have any anointing on your life already. But there are depths of anointing yet to be seen. There are anointings given of the Lord yet to be made manifest. I believe and know from my own life there are dimensions of anointing that you can move into and walk into. We see this even by the Lord Jesus' declaration. I believe when He was born in that manger, He was anointed, the anointed one. But yet we see when He came out of the wilderness, He declared, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me. And He anointed Him for a purpose. And the anointing of God that will come upon your life is for purpose. It's not just so you can say, I've got it. And so He has to take you through some things whereby you have no dependency on yourself, whereby you have no confidence in your flesh, but you recognize clearly and certainly it is the anointing of God operating through my life. I didn't do this. I didn't earn this. I didn't prove anything. I simply held to His Word. I endured the process by the grace of God. And it brought an anointing on my life. And I'll not trade it for anything. I'll not compromise it. I'll not sacrifice it. Because I know what it costs. Please talk to Him. Please talk to Him. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Your purpose.